I'm Gregory Berg. The following morning show interview was recorded and initially broadcast back in 2009. Enjoy. If you have had the pleasure, as I have, of seeing the new movie about Julia Child and Julie Powell, then I think you are going to especially enjoy the next few minutes of the morning show. Uh, I loved that film so much and was reminded so vividly of uh, what a fascinating, wonderful person Julia Child was that I was really anxious to speak with somebody who knew her and better yet, cooked right beside her. And uh, we have that person on the morning show for the next few minutes. One of the most renowned chocolatiers uh, in the United States, Norman Love. And uh, you can get us at least a visual sampling of uh, what he does with chocolate at his website, normanloveconfections.com. Norman Love knew Julia Child, cooked with her on a number of occasions, was one of the guests on Julia Child's final PBS series, A Baking with Julia. And uh, we're going to be talking with him for the next few minutes about his love affair with chocolate and about his deep friendship with the great Julia Child. Norman Love, we welcome you to the morning show. Well, good morning. Thanks for having me. Let's learn a little bit first about uh, when you first started cooking and, uh, and then specifically when you first started uh, working so extensively with chocolate. Growing up, were you somebody who was in the kitchen a lot, maybe a little more often than the, maybe the typical uh, young male might be? Yes, uh, certainly my, my mother, grandmother at the time were always very active and actively involved in the kitchen, uh, certainly for, for family gatherings, holiday celebrations, and so forth. But I had a huge attraction to art um, as a kid, and the culinary art, art seemed to be a way for me to express art through food. And uh, it's really what drew me at a very young age, um, working in restaurants, working in ice cream parlors and um, in various food establishments as a kid through high school, um, was, uh, was really my way to express art. Uh, I was the guy that, uh, one of the few men that was always in the, uh, in the cooking classes in school and took them really seriously. Um, I think food makes people happy, and it was a way to make people happy, and it was a way for me to satisfy my uh, and, uh, artistic uh, uh, creativity that, uh, that, I, that I really enjoyed uh, doing. <laughs> Very interesting. Was that something, I mean, you, you, you said yourself that often you would be the only boy maybe in, <laughs> in a given cooking class or something. Um, sometimes there, there are people that don't mind that sense of isolation or being out of step with what most of their peers are doing. Was that okay for you or was that a little bit hard? Well, it, it was okay. It just, you know, today, back then in the, in the early 70s, um, you know, the culinary arts and the, the whole culinary movement, that, that is, that, uh, the evolution that has occurred in our country was just beginning. So chefs were really looked at back then as, you know, blue-collar workers. I mean, they, were, they, were, uh, they certainly didn't have the celebrity status that so many of them have in all the wonderful restaurants and the, and the consumer visibility that exists today through television, radio, and so forth. But for me, it was so much about art. It was so much about um, taking taking so many color and so many texture and so many different tastes and being able to create this uh, this uh, artistic expression. And it really was what drew me to uh, to to the arts in the in the early age. At what point did chocolate become the the central focus of these exploits? Well, in 1973, I moved to Florida with my family, and I uh, was living on the east coast of Florida, south of Fort Lauderdale, and uh, started to get into the pastry business because I felt at the time uh, 
pastry side of the kitchen was uh, a, a, a higher level of uh, artistic expression than perhaps the savory side. And working in the heat and humidity of southwest Florida, um, chocolate was a way to express art through sculptures. And, uh, and most importantly is that American consumers, no matter where you went, always seem to buy and enjoy chocolate desserts or chocolate-flavored desserts more so than any other dessert on a menu. So it drew me towards the chocolate side, and I began to, uh, to, uh, um, to work heavily in the medium and, and, uh, and begin to, uh, to educate myself and find myself working with some extraordinary chefs throughout southwest Florida, south, excuse me, south Florida, um, that helped me to perfect my skill. But chocolate seemed to always make people happy, and it was always the most chosen, most popular dessert on a menu. So I began to, to, to lean heavily towards the, the world of chocolate. And, of course, that's a wonderfully complex, varied world. Could you talk for just a moment about just how much variation there is? And even, for instance, when we're talking about the same kind of chocolate, like milk chocolate or dark chocolate or whatever it might be, how even within the same kind of chocolate, uh, there is still variation to be found according to where it comes from, for instance. Without question, and more so and more visible than ever is today. I mean, chocolate, like the wine business, like the cigar business, like the coffee business, has become a really front burner, extremely trendy, and the American consumer, global consumers, are hungry for education. Where are the beans coming from and how are they grown? And, you know, just like grapes, based on climate, um, soil, temperature, rainfall, sunlight, the cocoa or the cacao beans are creating a very specific flavor profile. So you may eat five different dark chocolates, ultra-premium dark chocolates, where the beans' origin are from five different parts of the world, like uh, uh, Dominican Republic or Madagascar or Bolivia or Ecuador or Venezuela, and each one of those chocolates has distinct differences in flavor profile. Very much like drinking five or ten Chardonnays from ten different parts of the world, they all have slight variation uh, flavor profile differences. Now, the producer certainly has something to do with that, but Mother Nature has most um, of the influence on, on, that, on that fruit. So today, ultra-premium chocolate, because of the health benefits that are being fueled by us and surrounding dark chocolate, the flavonoids that are present in dark chocolate are scientifically proven today to be heart-smart, which is really creating a frenzy in our country for true ultra-premium dark chocolate made from, from the finest beans and some of the finest manufacturers in the world are struggling even to try to find enough beans for the demand in, the, in, our, in, in, in our country and other parts of the world. Chocolate has become a really popular thing today, and Americans are becoming more and more educated in chocolate, and with that education comes demand for better, higher-quality product. Hmm. I can't count myself a, a connoisseur of fine chocolate, although I guess I'm maybe moving in that direction, but I'm somebody who has, has always consumed a, f uh, a fair amount of chocolate. When I was a, a little kid walking home from school, I, I had a little more money than a, a kid my age should have, and I would go into the Ben Franklin store, 
and I would buy 10 Nestle Crunch bars or 10 Kit Kat bars, and I would eat them all on my way home. <laughs> so I had a real real fetish, I guess, at that at that point, which thankfully I've, I've managed to sort of uh, push away. But but uh, it's still the, the thing to, to which I turn for a, a special treat. And my wife and I, when we were in Switzerland a few years back with a, with a choral group, made a point of purchasing some chocolate uh, in Arosa, Switzerland, because we'd heard something about the chocolate in Switzerland, and indeed we were really glad we, we did that. Yeah. Uh, what tends to define supremely wonderful chocolate, like what we would have, for instance, purchased okay. in Switzerland, or what we might find at Norman Love Confections? Well, it starts, I mean, first of all, we're an artisanal manufacturer, and many of the European manufacturers, and not the big industrials, but you walk down a small town in anywhere in Europe and you see the, the bakery next to the butcher shop that may be next to the pastry shop and the chocolate shop, is that these are, you know, two and three generation um, uh, craftsmen that start with fresh ingredients. It's the most important thing. If, you f- if you're a fisherman and you catch the most incredibly fresh, piece, beautiful piece of fish and you have some ability to cook it, you're going to have a pretty pleasurable experience. Well, the same thing with chocolate, with pastry, and anything in the culinary arts. The first and foremost is to start with quality raw ingredients, the freshest cream, the, 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 the best quality, freshest butter, and the chocolate equally. And there are manufacturers throughout the world that produce ultra-premium, single-estate chocolate, high in cocoa butter, the conching, which is the mixing process that takes place during the, the manufacturing of chocolate, which... Um, uh, assist in creating the flavor profile and the smoothness and the texture in your mouth um, are all uh, are so readily available today in our country that you source the finest ingredients. We make it entirely by hand using these fresh ingredients. We never freeze or refrigerate our chocolate. So when you're eating this, it's the way Mother Nature meant it to be. It's eaten in the first few days that it's produced. So you have this intense flavor profile, creamy, smooth, consistency. And our claim to fame has been is that I believe the Americans eat with our eyes. So I wanted to create a very visual chocolate. No matter whether you purchased an expensive chocolate or an inexpensive chocolate, they always look the same when you open them. So we created a process and technique where we use colored cocoa butters and airbrushes to create a very visual, beautifully um, crafted piece of chocolate. But most importantly, we don't lose focus on who our customers are. American consumers, so we're Americans making chocolates for American consumers. We create product that is easily identifiable. Singular flavors, flavors like vanilla and lemon and strawberry, but perfectly executed with the finest ingredients. I spent many, many years traveling the world with Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company in charge of all the pastry operations worldwide, nearly 13 years. And I spent everywhere, all over Europe, all over Asia, Middle East. And with this, I was able to see and expose myself to some of the finest ingredients, cooking methods, culinary professionals around the world. And with this, I take that back to my shop and instill in my staff that what we do is about excellence. It's about coming to work to produce the finest product that we can. And a leading consumer magazine in our country has named us six times in three years as the number one chocolate in the United States. Hmm. We're speaking with Norman Love, and now we talk about uh, the connection which he has um, with the great, legendary Julia Child. Uh, when did you two first meet? This is a very funny story. In 19, I think, 92, 
I received a phone call. I was the executive pastry chef at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel in Naples, Florida. And I received a call on the house phone, the phone in our pastry shop, and it was a guest, a guest asking if I had a few minutes to uh, entertain his daughter, who was infatuated with chocolate, and if, she, if I had a few minutes to maybe play chocolate with her, basically. I thought it was quite an unusual request coming from a guest, but nevertheless I agreed, and this gentleman brought his daughter down to me was very young, under 10 years old, and together we dipped some strawberries and we played with some chocolate and created some little confections that she was able to bring back to her room for her family. About months later, I don't remember exactly how long it was, but months later I received a call from this gentleman. Of course, the family thanked me after after the, the short visit with his daughter, and he introduced himself as the, his name was Jeffrey Drummond, and Jeffrey was the uh, the president of a la carte communications, the company that produced all of Julia Child's PBS television shows. And he said that he was putting together a new television show called Baking with Julia, and would I be interested in appearing on the show? So this little favor that I had done for him, I guess, uh, went farther than I ever knew. And, uh, of course, I accepted uh, um, immediately um, and was given a a chapter, a chapter or a, a two two segments of the television show. Uh, there were 13, I think, in total, or 26 in each chef, 13 chefs, and each chef had two segments. Um, Patichou was the name of my uh, category, which is the cream puff dough. They're making eclairs and cream puffs. It's a, it's a dough that makes, as it bakes, it bakes hollow. But they wanted me to become creative, and the purpose of the show was friends in the kitchen, friends of Julia's in the kitchen, working in her kitchen, creating some innovative twists to some old traditional staples in the world of pastry. It says a lot about Julia Child that uh, that she would uh, be part of a show that was all about that, I mean, versus a show that would be all about adhering carefully to the st- uh, strict structures of tradition. I mean, yeah. she was herself, of course, such an innovative force in so many different ways. Um, so... Tell us kind of the logistics of how those segments got put together. Okay, I mean, sure. when you showed up, was there a lot of time to sort of lay the groundwork with exactly what would happen, or was that pretty much up to you? Well, I had submitted the recipes to uh, to the production company. Um, I had uh, tried to get as creative because I, I'm very much a traditionalist. I like classical desserts. I think that the classics are made properly are always the most wonderful. Um, but it was a challenge for me as a professional to try to put a creative twist to this very traditional dessert. And uh, I submitted it to the producers, and uh, they agreed that what I had chosen, which was a chocolate caramelized banana chocolate beignets in a walnut, car- creamed walnut sauce, and the other was a savory um, dish they wanted me to do, which was uh, a pate a cream puff, but was made from the juices of, uh, of onions and uh, and cucumbers with a, a salmon cream that was inside this. And the day came uh, that I flew to Boston. Her home was in Cambridge, was in Cambridge, uh, Mass. And I flew as I was an employee of the Ritz-Carlton. I stayed at the old Grand Dame Ritz-Carlton, Boston, in the, in the downtown city. And I was picked up the morning, the first morning, by a limousine. And I can't tell you, I was more nervous than I had probably had, more nervous than my wedding day that I was going to Julia Child's home to cook with her. Well, I arrived at her home, and uh, they transform her kitchen into the studio, and the directors are sitting in her dining room with monitors and uh, all of the equipment that would be necessary, sound equipment and so forth. 
cameras are set up and they're all mechanically controlled through the dining room as Julia and uh, her guests were in the kitchen. Well, there was a chef that had been scheduled the day before that was in the kitchen as they were filming as I arrived at her house. And, of course, I could hear her high-pitched voice and only drove my nerves, I think, a little bit higher. And I was escorted to the basement where they had transformed her basement into an entire prep kitchen where they assigned me some staff to assist in preparing and scaling all of the ingredients in various segments of a series of segments that are shot during the course of the show. Um, because quite often you do one or two recipes, they stop, they come and clean, and then they bring new ingredients back out. So I spent the entire day preparing for my session, which was going to be the following day. So the suspense grew because I never got to see her, only hear her. So I finished my preparation, and I was taken back to my hotel, and uh, a lot of anticipation for the following day, and that day, of course, came quickly, and I was picked up very early in the morning, and I think I arrived before 7 o'clock in the morning into uh, Julia's home, and of course, Julia was uh, was 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 eager and ready, and it was a handshake. It was the first meeting. We're standing in her kitchen, shaking hands. I probably was trembling. She is a very large woman, uh, tall, and uh, uh, we began to uh, to prepare my recipe. But there's a really funny twist, and for any of the listeners that have ever seen the Baking with Julia series with me, is we began cooking, and I said, "Okay, Julia, we're going to start with." Uh, with uh, the walnut cream sauce, and I began to place the ingredients into a sauce pot and needed to boil and reduce uh, the liquid somewhat to intensify the flavor. And for whatever reason, as we began to create another part of the recipe, the cream boiled over and went all over her kitchen, which created a tremendous amount of smoke. The directors came running into the kitchen, cut, 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 we need to stop. Julia was a bit upset because it was, again, friends in the kitchen, and sometimes these things happen, and that she wanted to continue, but the director and the producer had nothing to do with that. They just wanted to be sure that we recleaned the whole kitchen and started over. Well, they did. An hour later, we began again, and each of us joking about the smoke that smoke-filled kitchen. Me, I was entirely embarrassed. Um, we began, okay, Julia, here we go. We're going to start. They said action, and I said, okay, we're going to begin with the walnut cream sauce. And she said, you know, it would probably be a great idea if we used a very large pot just in case that would come up and boil over. And, of course, when you watch the show, the two of us are laughing, and no one, of course, watching the show has a clue because you know that part of the show was never filmed. <laughs> <laughs> that, the so, catastrophe so. which uh, had, <laughs> yeah. had ensued. But it, it, it was tremendous, Greg. It was, uh, for me, one of the most uh, inspirational exciting, um, moving, wonderful time to sit in her garden, to sit in her backyard and have lunch with her and spend two days with this grand dame, this woman who was uh, inspired, motivated, pioneered so much about the culinary movement in our country, um, was beyond a treat and beyond a privilege. It was uh, a wonderful part and probably the most memorable part of my culinary 30-year culinary career. Hmm. One of the things that's often said about this particular series is that it is, of course, Julia Child towards the very end of her career, a, a, a woman in her mid to late 80s, I should think, and, uh, of course, not not quite who she was much earlier. And, uh, of course, on this particular program, not even the, the, the active cook. I mean, it's the friend or the guest in, in, in the kitchen that's really doing most of the cooking, and she's mostly observing but when I watch clips then of this particular series, I'm always struck by how much of her vibrant personality and intelligence is still very much there. Yep. 
Absolutely, and I think that uh, people that never had the pleasure of meeting her, her wit, her charm, and her humor was beyond her greatness. She was just fun to be around, loved to laugh, loved to live, and most importantly, loved to eat. Hmm. I know that you had one other really remarkable encounter with Julia Child for a very special event celebrating, I think, one of her special birthdays where you were actually given a singular honor. Yeah, there was a, uh, a nationwide celebration for her 80th birthday. And um, Julia traveled around the United States and chefs from so many cities. I don't even recall how many, more than 25, I believe. Um, she celebrated her birthday a lot. Um, put on massive celebrations and uh, actually turned them into fundraising events that would uh, uh, some of the, uh, the the funds would uh, would be given back to some of the, her her most favorite uh, charities. And I was given the honor in uh, in Miami to to do her 80th birthday cake. And I was living actually on the west coast of Florida at that time and was able to uh, load a van, manufactured and produced this massive cake with um, so many of the uh, different organizations and things that people that she touched over the years. I uh, created artistic paintings uh, and figurines and marzipan and, uh, and chocolate. Um, so it had, I think, more than 50 chefs doing all different types of things, uh, these little characters, character-like um, uh, figurines, I suppose, that were all over the cake. And then I did a very big cocoa painting on the top of the, um, of the cake of, uh, of her bust. And uh, it, was, it, was, it was a really, really wonderful experience. It turned out that Robert Mondave Sr., who has now passed as well, was also um, in attendance, and he was celebrating his 80th birthday. So it was such a treat for, the, for me to be standing there with Julia and Robert Mondave, two great um, uh, people, uh, and had done so much for uh, the culinary movement in our country that uh, it, again, was uh, another really pleasurable and really exciting time of my career. Have you had the chance yet to see this new film? I have not. I know it's come out a couple weeks ago, and uh, actually I've been traveling. I was teaching in Chicago this past week, and I've been traveling crazy the last few weeks. So it's definitely on my agenda for this weekend because uh, what I understand, it's something not to miss. It's very, very special. I'm, I'm afraid there's not a whole lot of chocolate in this film, <laughs> but there's a whole lot of Julia Child and what made her so special. And uh, for people interested in... Um, in your beautiful chocolate creations, they can go to your lovely website, which is normanloveconfections.com. Norman Love, I do appreciate you joining me today on The Morning Show. This has been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. My pleasure. You have a great day. Thanks for the call. Once again, the preceding interview was recorded and initially broadcast back in 2009. Norman Love's long, distinguished career as a chef included a lengthy stint as executive pastry chef for Ritz-Carlton. He is still hard at work creating gorgeous, wonderful chocolates with his company, Norman Love Confections.